The Lord is risen. Amen, amen, and amen again. Uh, you know, we have it like no other people in the world. We have it like no other people in the world. And it's all because of Jesus. If you would come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Well, actually, yeah, let's begin with 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 4. And then we're going to back up to Luke chapter 24. 1 Corinthians 15, and beginning with verse 1, it says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word that I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Let us back up to Luke chapter uh, 24. And I want to drop down to verse 13. And behold, two of them going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? We want to talk to you for a little while about the power of a living Savior. The power of a living Savior. 
Last Sunday was the beginning of what is called among Christians Holy Week. And as I was preparing this sermon, a question surfaced in my mind on more than a few occasions about what people actually think about Holy Week. What do they think that it means when they think of Holy Week? Does the holiness of God enter into the picture? May I suggest that it should. For it was in that week that the holiness of God and the, the love of God was on display as at no other time. My prayer is that the Lord, as only he can do, will open us all up from the shallow thinking that we have concerning who God is. I pray that he will grant that our hearts may be filled with the awe and wonder of his majesty, of his holiness, which speaks of his perfect righteousness and his absolute justice. At the same time, may he open our eyes and our hearts to experience his steadfast love, which speaks of his tender mercies and his grace, which is marvelous. Holy Week began with the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem where people shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. The original meaning of that word was a prayer in which the help of God was sought. By the time of Jesus, the word became a shout of joy. The joy expressed by the people was based on their hope that Jesus had come to deliver the Jews from Roman bondage. They saw him as the fulfillment of messianic prophecies. He was their hope. The people took branches from palm trees and went out to meet him. Palm branches were symbolic of victory. And so they were shouting, victory, Hosanna. But as we have seen so often with human nature, one can in a matter of a few days go from hero to zero. And this is what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ, for on that Sunday he was their hero, and they shouted, Hosanna. But on Friday he became a zero, and they shouted, crucify him. But let it be understood that God was in full control. To our human eyes, very often things appear to be falling apart, but from God's perspective, they're falling into place. Holy Week takes us back to the time when the absolute justice and the tender mercies of God kissed each other. The Living Bible says grim justice and peace have kissed in none other than the Lord Jesus Christ have we seen a display of God's absolute justice and at the same time his tender mercies. None of God's attributes ever contradict one another. In other than the Lord Jesus Christ have we seen the display of God's wrath towards sin, and at the exact same time, his love for the sinner. God's holiness demands a perfect sacrifice for sin. Let me say that again. God's holiness demands a perfect sacrifice 
for sin. The holiness of God demands it. Jesus says to those who are on the road to Emmaus, was it not necessary for Christ to have suffered these things? Many people want to be spiritual, but few people want to be holy. And the Word of God says that without holiness, no one shall see God, according to Hebrews 12, 14. I'm continually struck with amazement at the response by some who say that they're going to heaven. And they say that they're going because they are a good person. When asked if they are perfect, the response says, and you've heard it many times, nobody's perfect. But ladies and gentlemen, that is just the crux of the problem. That is the matter. God requires perfection. That is the bad news. The good news that we celebrate today is that the perfection that God requires, he himself has also provided through his son, Jesus Christ. Can you say hallelujah? This truth sets our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ apart from world religions. Only in the Lord Jesus Christ do we see the utter depravity of our souls and the mercy of God at the same time. And may I submit to you, unless you're able to come with a recognition that you are a sinner, you cannot actually repent which is a part of what it means to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance. It is not a matter of, well, I know I've done this, but God does not forgive excuses. He forgives sin. And so when we come with excuses, then we are not actually coming with the, to the point of repentance. Doing Holy Week. We see the greatest demonstration of the holiness of God and the justice of God and the wrath of God, while at the same time we see a clear demonstration of the love of God through the mercy and grace of God. Throughout history, God has displayed his wrath, and at other times he's displayed his love. There are many who teach that God sets aside his justice in order to display his love. But contrary to such teaching, which incidentally is adopted by many world religions. We see that at Calvary, God manifested his love through his justice, through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary. I was an adult before I really understood what John 3.16 really meant. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God had to give his only begotten son in order to satisfy his own justice so that he could forgive us of our sins and give us eternal life. And so we praise God for what he's done. Only in the Lord Jesus Christ does the world see the supreme judge of the universe pronounce judgment against the lawbreaker and where the judge steps down from the judgment seat and takes the place of the lawbreaker. This is what Jesus Christ did at the Calvary. He stepped down and he gently moves the sinner to the side and he stands before his own judgment seat and says, I will pay the penalty for you. 
Only in the Lord Jesus Christ do we see such demonstration of justice and mercy at the same time. This is what happened at Calvary. The greatest problem that man faces is sin. Sin is destructive. It destroys families. It breaks up homes. It causes sickness and diseases. It causes our taxes to go up. It produces war and even causes economies to collapse. Most serious problem caused by sin is death. There are actually three kinds of death. There is physical death, and basically death means separation. There's physical death, and when physical death occurs, it's when the soul and the spirit have become separated from the body. That is physical death. But then there's something called spiritual death, and that is that death that is when a soul is separated from God. God said to Adam, the day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. When Adam ate of the tree, he died spiritually. But there's also something called eternal death. And that is when a soul is eternally separated from God, who is life. But praise God, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to deliver us from that eternal death. According to a game show uh, spokesperson responding to a piece I saw that popped up on my, uh, my news app, my Fox News app, uh, this past week. And it was about a very popular TV show called, you know, Wheel of Fortune. And there was an outcry on Twitter after a contestant lost big time because of the addition of a simple three-letter word, and. And so the person attempted to solve the problem, and before saying the last word, they said, and. And they lost. The solution to the puzzle was simply this, soul, flounder, cod, fish. But she simply said, and, fish. Now, the people on Twitter were outraged because they were saying, that is too strict. <laughs> well, the spokesperson says, now, it's been a long-standing rule that in order to solve a correct puzzle, a contestant must say only what is on the board without adding a single word. And the host very often informs the contestants that they must say only those words. Hmm. Religion is where man adds his own words. It's where man creates his own rules and wants God to follow. And what I say to the people on Twitter, it's not your TV show. If it were your show, then you could set the rules. 
We, ladies and gentlemen, are a part of God's show, and God is the one, only one who sets the rules. And we cannot come with our religious ideas and expect God to be satisfied with them. The enemy of our soul has caused us to introduce all kinds of things like this, but Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one will boast. I believe it was A.W. Tozer who said that the person who thinks he deserves to go to heaven will probably not get there. If you get to heaven, you will not be singing your own praises. If when I get to heaven, I will not be singing Donald's praises, I will be singing only the praises of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, our enemy has introduced all kinds of words and all kinds of things into our language to take our focus away from the things that have eternal value. Now, a trip to the park is said to be amazing. A movie star is called awesome. One can appreciate the grace of God and just how truly awesome he is without recognizing the depravity of his own soul. Last week I uh, discovered just how uh, dumb my smartphone is. And, and by the way, I don't have it here to, uh, uh, to receive a phone call. I, I have it here to time myself. Uh, because I, I have less than two hours to, uh, to preach today. So I, I want to make sure I don't go over. But I realized last week just how dumb my smartphone is. You know how when you're typing something in and, and it, it suggests various words to complete what you're typing in and sometimes you sit, end up sending out a text message and you look back and say, I didn't say that. It's because that old dumb phone decided that it was smarter than you and it put words in that you did not intend. But I started typing in the word depravity. And no matter how many times I started typing that word in, it would suggest everything but depravity. I typed depravity at least three times. And then I went back and go back to type depravity again to see if, okay, have you learned something from this encounter? It would never complete the word depravity. I wonder if the software engineers have so programmed it that way. Because we are prone to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We are prone to think that we are good. We are prone to think that we deserve to go to heaven because we are that good. Ladies and gentlemen, you may be good, but you are not that good. So it's only by grace. So we understand that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing. And the moment you want to add to that, it is not Christ and. It is not Christ and going to church. It is not Christ and giving to the poor. It is not Christ and in, in, in giving large sums in the offering. It is Christ, period. And the moment we add anything to it, we've taken away from what Christ has done. And we actually begin to rob God of his glory. 
this past week, people from our church family have been bringing food to my wife and myself. And for those of you who may not know, my wife had knee surgery a week ago on Friday. And uh, people in this church have shown tremendous kindness. And we are so grateful that I've not had to cook dinner. Ah, my wife gets to survive. <laughs> and I just want you to know how grateful we are that you've shown such tremendous kindness to us. But the ladies have brought food to us, and, and it has been delicious, but, but, but just suppose that while thanking one of the ladies for, for one of the meals, I happened to say to the lady, you know, I, it really wasn't all that good, you know, and, and I want to be kind to you, but it really wasn't good. You think she might have been a little bothered by that? A, a little? But then I go out and say, you know what I'm going to do? I go to the store and I buy all of the ingredients to make that same dish that she made, and I give her my recipe out of how to make it better. Do you think I've gotten into her good graces? Or do you think I've insulted her more? Do you think I've simply added insult to injury? Well, this is what religion does to God. Even though we recognize our own depravity, we decide that we can make ourselves better. Uh, forget what Jesus did on the cross. Or maybe we will simply allow that, but we'll add to it. This is what religion does. It sets up its own sets of rules and, and rituals by which we can earn the love and favor of our God. And any time you do that, you're adding insult to the injury that God placed on his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary. God is that holy. Come with me again, and, 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 and you may have seen the slide a little bit earlier, but come with me, if you would, to Romans 3, 23. And you're familiar, you can quote this, I'm sure. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely as a gift by his grace that is undeserved favor, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate the righteousness, his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It is only through the blood of Jesus that one can be justified. A penalty has to be paid for every sin that is committed, and only the blood of Jesus could satisfy that. And I really had better hurry on in order to finish this. When Adam and Eve realized that they had offended God and they saw that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together. But way back then, God preached the gospel 
in the garden about the fact that he would send a redeemer into this world. And Jesus Christ is that redeemer. Now let me hurry on because I want to make this point that the reason the Apostle Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to the saints who were already professing to know the Lord Jesus Christ is because there were some in the church who were saying that the resurrection had already occurred. There were some who were saying there is no resurrection. And he wanted to remind them of the importance of and the utter necessity of the fact that, not, that Jesus Christ both died, was buried, and that he rose from the dead. And so I want to take you quickly back to this so that I can finish this. He says, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which I also receive, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. If Jesus is not the way, then he's not even a way. We do not have the luxury of patronizing statements that Jesus was a good man or even a prophet without acknowledging that he is the Son of God, and that he alone has atoned for our sins. The things Jesus said about himself make it impossible for one to claim that he was just a good man. He claimed to be the Son of God, he claimed that he never sinned in John 8, 46. He claimed to possess eternal existence in John 8, 58 and 59. He claimed, he claimed to have authority to forgive sin in Matthew 9, 6, Mark chapter 2. He claimed that the scriptures were about him in John 5, 39. He claimed equality with God the Father in John 5, 17 and 18 and John 10, 30 and 31. He claimed to give eternal life in John 5, 21 and John 10, 28 and 29. He claimed to be the resurrection and the life. He claimed to be the only way to God. And Paul said to Timothy that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. To believe that Jesus is not the only way to God is to believe that sin is not as serious as the Bible says it is. When Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore it's by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death came upon all men because all have sinned, that is not talking necessarily about your personal sins. It is talking about the fact that the first man, our federal head, sinned. And because of that, all of us became sinners. The only reason the creation failed in the first place was because our federal head, Adam, then failed. And if you're in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only reason that the new creation can fall is that our federal head, our new federal head, the Lord Jesus Christ, should fall. I made that statement at a church, and I saw somebody in the, in the audience shaking their head, and I said, I don't know what Bible you're reading. The only way for me to lose is for Jesus to fall. And that can't happen. That cannot happen. And the reason I know that it can't happen 
is because he rose from the dead. If Jesus said anything that was not the truth, then he cannot be the son of God. He cannot be a prophet. He cannot be a good man. But the resurrection of Christ is the crowning proof that he is who he claimed to be and what he did is accepted by God the Father. Come with me quickly to 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is vain, your faith also is vain. Moreover, we have even been found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. But the resurrection is proof that God has provided for us a disconnect from Adam in whom all die. But the scripture says, for if we have hope in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. In Adam we die. In Christ we live. Let me close with just a couple of points, if I may very quickly. Before starting the journey of life, a man was told that he would come to a certain crossroads and there he was to seek direction for the completion of his journey. When he reached the crossroads, he saw four booths, each with a sign that read, ask here for directions. In three booths sat the skeletons of dead men. In the fourth booth stood a man full of life. From which should the man seek directions? Most of you, I hope all of you, would answer from the living man, of course. What an absurd question. And yet, there are many who are seeking the answer to the most important question they will ever face from dead men. The question is how to receive forgiveness of all of my sins and receive eternal life. If you go to the grave of Buddha, you will find dry bones. If you go to the grave of confusion, I'm sorry, that Confucius, again, you will find a dead man's bones. If you go to the grave of Muhammad, there were a nothing but dry bones, but if you go to the grave of Jesus, you will find an empty tomb. And if you call on heaven, Jesus will answer. The grave couldn't hold him. And that tells us that he has given us victory over the grave because he's given us victory over sin. Do you believe in the resurrection? Many of you are too young to know about something called Watergate which happened back in the 70s where a group of politicians working on behalf of a sitting president invaded uh, the headquarters of a, another political party. 
and they were caught. And there was a tremendous cover-up, or at least an attempt to cover it up. And the result of that was that 12 men went to prison, but also it caused that president to actually resign from office. One of those men was a man by the name of Chuck Colson, Charles Colson, uh, probably one of the greatest Christians of all time and perhaps of all times. Charles Colson became a Christian. And we are after he went to prison. And here's what he said about the resurrection. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had, been, they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. Hallelujah, hallelujah.